You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Isn't it great to uh, sing with a full building of people, praises to our God? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you, amen. Oh, uh, my name is Brendan. I'm uh, one of the pastors here on staff at MCA. Thank you for joining us here on this long weekend. I hope you're enjoying it. Um, And when you're about to think, you know what, I wish it wasn't smoky. Guess what? It's September and this is the first time there's smoke. Yes, I am thrilled about that. Um, Before I jump into the message for this morning, a couple quick announcements uh, that I want to say. You know, first off, there is a women's circle kicking off this week on Tuesday at 9.15 a.m. And your question is, what is a circle? Does this mean I come and I sit around in a circle? Uh, Most likely. I'm not actually quite sure. Um, It's a smaller group of people who meet regularly to grow spiritually. So if you're a woman looking to get connected in a smaller group of, uh, of other women who are wanting to grow spiritually, uh, starting this week, 9.15 a.m., if you want to find more information, you can head to our website, mcachurch.ca. Uh, secondly, next Sunday is a big Sunday for us. You know, it, it's every year kind of when school starts after the long weekend we do a, uh, a big kickoff Sunday. And so what that entails, if you're like, hey, I'm new to this community here, well, hey, this is a great time to, to come. There's, there's free food. There's a, a wonderful barbecue, burger, hot dogs, and snow cones, thank goodness, for everyone. Um, there's road hockey if you're really competitive, nine square games. You can get all your food here. And, uh, and during the service... Uh, Pastor Keith is going to give us a little bit of a vision about where the church is going this year and, and also the kickoff to the start of a new sermon series called Listening. All right, that's a spoiler I'm going to give you for next week. That's all. Uh, lastly, this is, this is a, do we have a picture? Can, I, can we show a picture? Our very own Aaron Seufer. Some of you are clapping because you know what happened. Um, Aaron traveled all the way across Canada on that bike. Is that correct, Aaron? How long did it take you? How many days? 56 days to get all the way across Canada. He was raising money for United Way, and he just arrived on Wednesday. And guess what? He was already biking yesterday. Um, What a wild man. Can we give this guy a round of applause? Way to go, Aaron. Aaron was, I'm trying to think, were you in youth ministry when I showed up, or did you come in afterwards? Uh, we don't know. <laughs> Anyways, Aaron's, Aaron's a gem. Hey, well, w- would you all pray with me as, uh, as we jump into this message? Jesus, we, we come to you having sung your praises, having declared the truth about who we are because of you. God, we're children of the Most High. We are valuable. We are masterpieces created in the image of God, not because of anything we have done, God, but just because of who you are and because of what you declare us to be. 
Jesus, we thank you for this grace. This is a grace upon grace upon grace. So God, as we turn our hearts continually towards you this morning, as we open up the word, Jesus, I, I just pray that your spirit would come alive, would quicken our hearts, would start something afresh again this morning. So we thank you and we pray these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. So this is the final reason to sing. There's no other reasons to sing besides what's happening this morning. Um, we've been going through for uh, this, this past summer, um, we've been going through this series called Reason to Sing. And, you know, there's... There's countless reasons to sing. Some of the, uh, the, the, one of my favorite hymns, I'm, I'm not even going to try to quote it, but it talks about how, um, you know, there's just an endless number of ways we can praise our God, an endless number of reasons we can turn our hearts towards the creator of the heavens and earth, and this is uh, another one of those. So a few years ago, and by a few years ago, I think like 10 years ago now. It's fun that I can say 10 years ago for like an example, and it makes sense because I was 20 10 years ago. Um, I, uh, I had this like really significant light bulb moment in my faith. It was like really big. I grew up in a church, not unlike this one, a little bit smaller in, in a small town in Manitoba. And, you know, I, I came to church every kind of every Sunday. Um, my dad became a pastor when I was in high school. And, I, you know, I, I learned a lot about who God was. I learned a lot about what God asked of me. Um, but there, I, I don't think I knew that there was something missing or something um, kind of beyond what I was learning, but I had this incredible light bulb moment. There was this pastor I was listening to, I think just like a, a, a video on YouTube, and the pastor was talking about this story of David and Goliath, you know, one that I had heard uh, a number of times over. And so, you know, just a quick recap uh, of David and Goliath, right? You have David, this young man, and Goliath, this uh, really large warrior on the enemy side. And, um, and David's team, um, the Israelites, his, his party, they were fighting against the Philistines and Goliath was their champion. And back in the day, right, they, they would do this thing instead of kind of sacrificing all the soldiers to fight one another, um, because most of these soldiers were also farmers, uh, they, they would choose to elect one champion from each side and have them fight, and whoever, uh, whoever's champion won, would, um, their victory would be the entire army's victory, right? So if Goliath won, that would be a Philistine victory in that battle. And so um, Goliath steps out, right, on behalf of the Philistine army, and he, uh, the Israelites are terrified. They're utterly utterly afraid because they're like, we can't fight this person. He's a giant. He is strong. Look how big his sword is, right? All these, all these things. And David is kind of on the side of the Israelites, and he's looking around at his fellow brothers in arms, and he is like, why are you so afraid? Don't you know who we have on our side? We have the God of heavens and earth on our side. And so David elects himself to go fight Goliath. And 
It's incredible. It's especially great when you're like uh, a young boy growing up and you hear about this small, short person and yourself, you're like, I can identify with this small, short person. And, uh, and then he picks up a couple stones in his sling and he doesn't even use a sword and he just slings it and it like goes right into Goliath's head. And then the part that they never tell you in Sunday school, but the part that we loved as young boys reading ahead is that then he took Goliath's sword and then chopped off Goliath's said, right? Um, the Bible is uh, ventures into the PG-13 um, territory once in a while. And, uh, and it is an incredible story. And then every time, you know, I would hear this, right? There's, there's the teaching that comes afterwards, right? Hey, you know, just as God gave David strength to conquer and defeat Goliath, so God too will give you courage and strength to defeat the Goliaths in your own life, right? Whatever those challenges you might face, God will give you the courage and strength to defeat them. And I 100% believe that. I believe that God can and will give us the courage and strength to go out and fight these battles and, 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 and defeat, overcome Goliaths in our life. But the pastor when I was listening to the sermon, he was like, yes, that is a good point of the sermon, but, but it's missing something more. Like, who is this, what, what is this Bible ultimately about? Who does this story point towards? Like, where does this Bible lead to? It leads to this person of Jesus. And so if the Bible leads to the person of Jesus, shouldn't all the Bible be pointing ahead to this central figure, to this central person? And the pastor's like, hey, you know what? Maybe instead of you being the hero of the story in David and Goliath, maybe it's Jesus who's the hero of the story. Right, maybe instead of David going out on behalf of all of the Israelite nation, it, it, David's actually pointing ahead to someone who would go out on behalf of everyone else and someone who would ultimately conquer the largest Goliath of sin and death. And just as David's victory over Goliath became all of the Israelites' victory, so this other someone's victory over sin and death would become all of his children's victory. Right, do you see that subtle shift? Suddenly, we're no longer the center of the story. Suddenly, it's like, okay, yes, God gives us strength and courage to defeat the Goliaths in our lives, but what if David's pointing ahead to one greater than himself who defeats the ultimate Goliath of sin and death, and that victory becomes our victory? What if instead of you and I being the center of the story when we read it, it's actually Jesus? And the pastor was saying all these things and it just blew my world apart because I suddenly began thinking about a lot of the sermons that I, I would hear growing up or a lot of like the times I would open up the Bible. And the first thing that I think about, you know, I read a passage, I'm not going to read a passage randomly, that usually doesn't work out well. But the first thing that I would think about as I was reading would be like, okay, what does this mean for me? What does this mean about me? What is God telling me here? And I had this shift. It's like, wait a second, what if that's not my first question? 
What if my first question is, how is this telling me about the person and character of Jesus Christ? And from that moment on, 10 years ago, my entire world changed. My entire walk with Jesus changed. It's, it's, it, it brought about this like freedom and excitement as I followed Jesus. I, I became like especially interested in reading the Old Testament and be like, okay, where is the name of Jesus being whispered here? How are these themes pointing ahead to this wonderful person of Jesus? And, and there's, there's nothing wrong with everything uh, with, with that other way of approaching the Bible. But I believe that Jesus has something more for us, right? When we fix our eyes on him and we, we come to the word of God and we look for the word of God, the word made flesh, Jesus. So I, I, I believe there's, there's a, a pretty big difference between application and, and motivation, between application and motivation, right? Application matters, right? This is like, okay, do this, don't do this, or you know, because God gave you courage, you can also have courage. So here's how to have courage in God, right? Pray, do this. Like, application is good. It can change our actions. But application without motivation will end up just leaving us burdened, in a place where we feel like we have to do more, where we continually have to strive because it's like, okay, these are the checklists that I need to follow in order to do X, in order to get this. But motivation, it, it inspires. It, it changes our hearts. And this is something I love about Pastor Keith's teaching. And, and one of the things that I remember uh, listening to seven years ago when I was applying for the job here at MCA, I, I remember hearing Keith preach and I'm like, oh, thank you, Keith. You're bringing me to the heart of Christ in this message. In this passage, you're, 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 yeah, you're, you're seeing how it applies to my life, but ultimately you're actually capturing me with the beauty and wonder of Jesus because something happens when we fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Shackles break, chains come loose, our lives change. Jesus, the inspiration Right? We love not because Jesus commanded us to love, even though he did. We love because he has first loved us. Think about that. In your lowest moment before you existed, Jesus, the one who holds everything together, loves you. Out of that wellness of love, we then love others. We forgive not just because it was commanded or because we were told to forgive seven times 77. We forgive because we understand how much he has forgiven us. Right? Jesus has forgiven us everything, and that is why we forgive. Application and motivation. Application matters. It changes our actions, but motivation inspires. It changes our heart. And so the question you know, why do we, do we come to this text? Why do we come to the stories of Jesus and point to Jesus? Uh, two, two things. One, I believe it honors the, the nature of the Bible, and I believe it honors the nature of humanity. All right, first, honors the nature of the Bible. You know, 
if, if, you, if you pick up any like book or story or maybe you watch a TV show and you just watch one episode or you read one chapter, it can make some sense, right? It can make a decent amount of sense. But if we remove it from the context of the entire story, we, we miss out on what that chapter maybe alludes to or what that chapter actually resonates in the entire story. Yeah, this is very similar to how we approach the Bible. If we miss out on the central theme of the Bible when we're reading, it doesn't matter where we're reading, we can, we, we can only get a glimpse of what the Bible is actually speaking about. Uh, and I love just that we can just go to Jesus. And, and Jesus gives us probably the, the best way to approach the Bible. And it's in Luke 24, 25 through 27. And it's up on the screen behind. Jesus said to them, right? This is after Jesus died and then he rose again. And he hasn't like quite revealed himself yet. And so he's, he's walking this road. And he's walking with a couple other people who were, who were arguing about what the scriptures were talking about. Like, what, what was the point? And Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah, speaking about himself there, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. If you need permission to, um, when you're hearing the stories of the Old Testament or when you're reading the stories of the Old Testament, if you need permission to look ahead to Jesus, he just gave it to you. And it's not like you're gonna be misreading the Bible. Jesus is like, hey, beginning with Moses, when he's saying Moses, he's talking about the first five books of the Bible. Right? That was the common shorthand. Beginning with Moses and, and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. I love that we can start with Jesus' invitation, right? Jesus' invitation to look at the Bible and see how it points to himself. The only way to truly understand the individual stories of scripture is to understand the entire story of scripture ultimately culminating in the story of Jesus Christ. Uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones, uh, an author of, of a children's book, actually, uh, says this, and I love, I love this quote. When we drill a Bible story down into a moral lesson, we make it all about us. But the Bible isn't mainly about us and what we are supposed to be doing. It's about God and what he has done. When we tie up the story in a nice, neat little package and answer all the questions, we leave no room for mystery or discovery. We leave no room for the child, no room for God. When we say, now what that story is all about is, or the point of the story is, we're in fact totally missing the point. The power of the story isn't in summing it up or drilling it down or reducing it into an abstract idea because the power of the story isn't in the lesson. The power of the story is the story. Jesus told parables for a reason. The redemption story of the, God, of the Bible and, and ultimately the good news of the gospel, right? We talk about this a lot. Pastor Keith talks about this a lot. And there's these movements, and, and I help to kind of characterize them in, in four different movements. We have creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. 
right? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God created the heavens and the earth. God created male and female and said, it's good. It's very good. And there was goodness in the world and there was beauty and there was life. But for some reason, humanity chose themselves instead of choosing God. And so we move from this beauty of creation into a fallenness and brokenness enters into the world. And there's this period of time, which is much of the Old Testament, where, where humanity is struggling with this brokenness and God is giving grace after grace. And he, he, he continue, even though humanity pushes away from God, God continually draws them back up until the point where it's like, okay, I need to enter the scene. And so Jesus, right, enters into the story takes upon humanity's, our brokenness in a way where we could not, in a way where all these stopgap measures did not suffice. So Jesus enters in, takes the brokenness upon himself and gives us his wholeness, right? That's the message. And then we're invited from that moment of redemption, we're invited into restoration. We're on this side of the cross Right, this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus, as we follow Jesus, we're bringing about the new heavens and new earth. We're, we're stepping into the kingdom of God. And we're in this tension where we still live in this brokenness, we still feel this brokenness, but we're getting glimpses of this restored future. We're getting glimpses of something more. We're getting glimpses of something better. And when we read the story of the Bible, it doesn't matter where we're reading, what passage we're reading, what book we're reading, what author in scriptures we're reading, when we keep in mind the creation, fall, redemption, restoration, suddenly we can, we can put where that story falls in the larger scheme, how it points to Jesus. Graham Goldsworthy uh, would say this, we do not start at Genesis 1 and work our way forward until we discover where it is all leading. Rather, we first come to Christ and he directs us to study the Old Testament in the light of the gospel. And the gospel will interpret, interpret the Old Testament by showing us its goal and meaning. Right? The gospel, what he's referring to there is, is the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. So honors the nature of the Bible as we point to Jesus. Secondly, I believe it honors the nature of humanity. We are inclined towards self-salvation, right? right we, we, I think we, we all naturally get that. When there is a problem to be solved, we want to fix it as rapidly as possible. When there is... Um, uh, like when we're reading the Bible, it is so nice to just to get a checklist at the end of the thing of the other things. Like God, you know, what do you want me to do? Right? The rich young ruler, when when he approached Jesus, he's like, Okay, Jesus, how do I get into the kingdom of heaven? And God uh, and Jesus asks you know a couple questions. And really, the rich young ruler just wanted an answer. He wanted this clear-cut understanding. What are the things I need to do? What are the things I don't need to do? We love these things, and, and we, we love it because we love self, salvation. Adam and Eve, right, they're living in this perfect created order, and instead of choosing God's way, they choose their way. 
We default to it. And the reason why pointing to Jesus honors the nature of humanity is because self-salvation never works, right? It, it can work up until a point, but there's always a point where the burden of the do's and the burdens of the don'ts and, and whether or not we're achieving the things as we should, whether or not we're, we're, we're keeping away from the things that we shouldn't be doing, there comes a point where that just becomes too much. It just becomes too much. And God knows this, Jesus knows this. That's why he comes in this incredible act of grace, right? He moves people away from this act of self-salvation towards an act of, hey, have faith in Jesus and his finished work. Often at this time, um, and this was my, when I was first kind of like diving into all of scripture and hearing this, I had this instant instant thought right at this moment. It's like, okay, Brendan, I get that. But, but if, if, if you don't have these list of things, if you don't have these set of moral codes, won't people just live in, in a really bad way? Won't it just be really bad stuff that happens? Won't people just do bad things? And, and it's not to say that there's nothing wrong with, with, with do's and don'ts, or there's nothing good with do's and don'ts. Because it makes sense, right? You have to train people to do certain things and not to do other things. And Jesus actually talks a lot about that in his Sermon on the Mount. But the issue is when the focus is there. I don't know if you've ever had your heart changed by a rule before, right? Has thou shalt not commit adultery, like ever like that sentence, ever changed your heart to not lust, or thou shalt not um, steal or covet, right? Has, has just that sentence ever changed someone's heart, their motivation? Yeah, it might give us some guardrails. So we, we think about things and we get up to a point and then it's like, okay, you know what? I shouldn't do this. And so we were like, okay, I'm not gonna do it, but it doesn't change the heart. This is the whole thing of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, hey, you, you heard it said, right? You heard it said, but I tell you. Because Jesus wants to reveal that it's a heart issue. It's not an action issue. Jesus wants to reveal that, hey, work on your motivation. What is your motivation? Because you need to get that in order. And so if we can look at Jesus at what he offers us, at the fullness he offers us, at the rest he offers us, suddenly, suddenly our life can change outwardly, right? So, so we, read, we read the Bible as Jesus with the main point because it honors the nature of the Bible and it honors the nature of humanity. So, you know, first, first question, okay, hey, hey, that's great, love this. How do I even step towards this? How do I even do this? Um, there's this uh, British pastor, Charles Spurgeon, who had a uh, young kind of pastor friend who kind of had the same question. And there's this little story that Spurgeon tells, right? And so it's like, so the old man said, don't you know, young man, that from every town and every village and every little hamlet in England, wherever it may be, there is a road to London. Yes, said the young man. Ah, said the old and so from every text in scripture, there is a road to the metropolis of the scriptures, and that is Christ. 
And my dear brother, whether your business in when you get to a text to say, now what is the road to Christ? And, and then preach a sermon running along the road towards the great metropolis Christ. And said he, I have never yet found a text that had not got a road to Christ in it. And if I ever do find one that has not a road to Christ in that, will make one. I will go over hedge and ditch, but I will get at my master for the sermon. Cannot do any good unless there's a savor of Christ in it. And so from every text in scripture, there is a road to the metropolis of the scriptures, and that is Christ. Uh, what, what this does not mean, right? Uh, I, th- I think it's a couple things. One, as, as you're reading you know, the Bible and maybe as you're sharing the, the Bible with, with a friend or whatever, it, it does not mean that we read a passage and we skip over anything it says. We, we don't do a disservice to the text. We traveled the entire road of the text before coming to the metropolis of scripture. That is Christ. It does not mean that the Jesus message, every, um, every uh, piece of text is the same, right? It does not mean that when we talk about Jesus, it's always this, this key in on, okay, Jesus, Jesus died for our sins and brings, brings us into new life. Because yes, that is the a central part of the good news of Jesus, but Jesus' gospel is just incredibly much more larger than that. And so two, two ways, you know, two ap- applications of how we can go about diving in and pointing to Jesus is two things. I believe that every major theme of the Bible points to Jesus, and I believe that every major figure of the Bible points to Jesus. Uh, one of the... Uh, uh, t- Tim Keller has uh, informed this a lot. Um, there's this, this book. Uh, do you have the book up there, Paul? It's this it's children's book by Sally Lloyd-Jones, um, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's phenomenal. Um, if, like, as an adult, every, every, every Christian, I believe, should, should own this book. It is so cool. And, and the reason why it's so cool is there's this tagline underneath. You might not be able to read it, but it says, every story whispers his name. So it's this incredible Bible where it talks through these stories, right, from, from the Old Testament, from the New but then there's always this little piece that hints at something greater, that, that whispers his name, that foreshadows Jesus, the one who Moses and the prophets and everyone talked about. Right? And this Bible does it in such an incredible way where it points us towards the metropolis of scriptures, Jesus Christ. And so every major theme of the Bible points you know, a couple quick examples, right? Kingdom, if, if you go through the Old Testament, kingdom is a major theme. This one is, is not a big reach, right? Kingdom needs a king. Who is the true king? It's Jesus. And so we can look at these kingdom themes. We can glean God's wisdom from them, and then we can point ahead and worship the true king, Jesus. Covenant, relationship. It's a key theme in the Old Testament. We are made for relationship. We even get glimpses and and truths of that at the beginning, right? God between Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve between each other, and then the fracture of it. 
or we're invited into relationship. And God continually extends his hand of unconditional love in relationship in, in the Old Testament and into the new. And this ultimately points towards this, this, this great invitation into relationship in Jesus. One of my kind of like a little bit deep dive if, if you're into kind of themes, uh, home and exile. It's a very interesting theme. How often the word immigrant or alien comes up in the Bible? It, it comes up a lot. So much so that uh, in, in the New Testament, the authors pick up on this theme and say, hey, we are all aliens of this land. We are all immigrants. Don't you know where your true nationality lies? Don't you know who you are identified with? It's, it's with Jesus, it's, it's not with anywhere else. And so as a quick aside, right? We, as followers of Jesus, who know that we are actually aliens of this land because we're citizens of heaven, we should be the ones on the forefront of inviting immigrants, into our homes, into our churches, inviting people who are not from Canada into, into Canada, into our communities. And the gut, whatever goes behind this, like, oh, no, no, this is mine. It's like, okay, is that, is that from Jesus? Like, we should celebrate we should celebrate immigrants. We should relate with that. And, and if, if you're like, you know what, I, I, I can't quite get there, then my question is like, hey, where are you staking your citizenship? Are you staking it as a Canadian, as someone who is Colonian, Colonian, Colonian? What does anyone know? Okanagan. No, that's not a thing. Gosh, that's a, I'm going to Google that when I get home. Maybe Castanet will solve the answer for me. No, that should have gotten more laughs, but it's okay. Jesus, right, home in exile. Jesus, right, his citizenship in heaven coming to earth, forsaking his heavenliness, his godliness, and becoming human flesh, right? Image the exact representation of God. And on the cross, Jesus goes even further, where he actually is exiled from the relationship with God. Right? He's exiled so that we could be brought home. every major theme of the Bible. One of my favorite ways that the Bible foreshadows Jesus is, is through every major figure, every major character. Right? I already talked about David this morning. You know, Esther, Esther's the great. Esther risked the loss of the palace to identify with God's people in order so that she might save them, right? Did not Jesus do this? Jesus risked the heavenly palace in order to identify with us in order to save us. Moses, Moses, this law giver, writing the tablets of the law, points ahead to the greater law giver who would write the law on our hearts, on our spirits. 
Jacob, right? This watchful shepherd who with great care for his sheep, he guards them, points ahead to the great shepherd, the one who leaves the 99 and comes after us. Or Joseph, the good and compassionate brother who in his glory was not ashamed to acknowledge his brothers, right? As he's prime minister of Egypt, does not look on his brothers with disgust and, 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 and their condition, but welcomes them in. Does not point ahead to Jesus? Every major figure of the Bible foreshadows, whispers his name. And so two resources, I already mentioned one, but two resources if you're like, hey, I want, I want to know more about this. I want some practical things. You can, you can like Google, if you Google something on YouTube, I would say like Tim Keller, um, uh, Jesus in the Old Testament, you could do something like that. Or you can read, do we have a couple books up here? Yeah, a couple slides. These are two incredibly good starting points. Um, there's this book by David Murray titled Jesus on Every Page. And then I already mentioned Sally Lloyd-Jones, uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible. All right, so it comes back to what I, started, what I said at the start, application and motivation, right? Application, it can change our hearts. When we approach the Bible, or sorry, application, it can change your actions, right? When we approach the Bible and we're like, okay, what does Jesus have for me, for me in this passage? It's not a bad question. It's a good question, but it can only get us so far. But when we go to the Bible, we're like, okay, what does Jesus have for me? But also, what does this say about Jesus? Suddenly, that, that application now has fuel to change our lives. Suddenly, we have that motivation to change our hearts. And out of that outpouring, our lives can be changed. Um, I'll invite the, uh, the, the, the band to come up. And, and as they do, uh, this past week, I was at uh, Eagle Bay Bible Camp um, speaking at a, a summer camp. Um, it's this church group from Johnston Heights in Surrey. And there's 40, 50 youth there and, and a bunch of leaders. And it was a fantastic week. They had this uh, theme verse throughout the week of camp. And um, it's Jesus, right? And it's his invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It was so neat to see these students respond because so many of them had never set foot really in a church before. So many of them had come from incredibly broken places. We did this thing on one of the nights where I asked the students to write down their burdens uh, and like their, what, what wearies them, what like brings them down on a piece of paper and, um, and, uh, and then just kind of put it at the foot of the cross. And I, I, I read through these, some of these and I just was weeping. Like the, the pain and histories that some of these students had just blew my mind. I, I, I could not comprehend the amount of hurt that they had already experienced. And even in that, I saw throughout the entire week so many students, a handful of students, received this invitation from Jesus where they could come to Jesus, they could give their weariness, give their burdens, and I saw Jesus give them rest in that moment. 
And I pray, I've been praying as they go home that Jesus would continue to give them rest. Maybe you have a lot of burdens and weariness when it comes to church, when it comes to people like me saying stuff from the stage. Whatever it may be, my invitation to you would be to listen to Jesus' invitation. Come to me. Not, not, to, not to anyone else. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Maybe you have been burdened so long by what you believe that this book has said on your life, what, what commandments or, or things that this has said. I'm just going to ask you, instead of maybe listening to those things, listen to Jesus. Look at this. See what it says about Jesus first and foremost. And in that invitation, you know, I'm going to ask, it's like, hey, is there life? And I believe that there is. I believe that there is rest and greater life as we heed that invitation. So Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this, this morning. We thank you for your stories, your word, the truth that is found in scripture. And God, I love, I love that the entire Bible whispers your name. Jesus. Capture our hearts, motivate us, change our hearts. And Jesus, as we fix our eyes upon you, the author and perfecter of our faith, do something that only you can do. Yes, Jesus, we love you.